Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12. And ask for your attention this morning as we read God's Word, as we open it. There's some vital, vital truth uh, from God's Word today that needs to be heard and it needs to be understood. And so I want, to, I want your attention. I want your attention on the Lord and on His Word, and particularly those of you who need to be saved. You need to, you need to listen to the Lord today. In John chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 37, read down through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Now, we've, it's been a couple of weeks since we were here in John chapter 12. And where we left off in John chapter 12 was in verse 35 and 36, where Jesus said unto them, and he's, again, you have to remember that this is just a few days before Jesus is going to go to the cross. <clears throat> this is in the last week of his life here on this earth, and, and in just a little while, he would not be here anymore. And Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. This is the place that we left off a couple of weeks ago. And here Jesus is making a final plea. And the plea that he is making is, believe while you have light. Believe 
while you have a chance. In other words, while you still have opportunity, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because there's coming a time when you aren't going to have any more light. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says, believe on me while you have opportunity. And then we come to verse 37. And verse 37 says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And so here he makes this final plea, and, 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 and he's saying, Believe while you have a chance. Believe while you have an opportunity. And somebody might say, Well, give us a reason to believe. Well, if you recall, Jesus performed many miracles there's only seven major ones that are recorded in the Gospel of John. And yet John still says uh, that the books could not contain the whole of all that Jesus did. The last miracle that he performed was raising Lazarus from the dead. People saw that. People knew that. People understood it. They were there. They testified of it. But though he had done so many miracles before them, Yet they believed not on him. Now, John often does this. But in the Gospel of John, what you find is that John will give the narrative. He'll say, here's what happened. But then he'll give like a commentary on what just happened. And that's often what you see in the Gospel of John. And this is one of those sections where John records what happened. Jesus made this statement. Jesus made this plea Believe while you have light. And then this next section, John kind of gives a commentary on it. On the events that had just happened. But it's a sad commentary that he gives. It's a commentary on the spiritual condition of Israel. Though he had done such miracles, though they had seen the strong arm of the Lord, Though they had all of this in front of them, though he preached powerful truth to them, though he spake as no man had ever spoken, though he did things that no man could do except God be with him, though he did all of those things, yet they believed not on him. The verb that is translated as believed here is in the imperfect tense. And that might not mean much to you just saying that, but let me tell you what it means. It suggests to us that they kept on not believing in Him. They kept on not believing in Him. There was a stubbornness about them. There was a refusal to believe altogether upon Him, despite all of the evidence they had in front of them. Does that make sense? Yet they believed not. They continued. They kept on not believing in Him. Their sin was not just the sin of unbelief. Their sin was willful disbelief, which ended up blinding their hearts to the point that they could not believe. This is, this is a terrible commentary on the heart condition of Israel. And in the text here this morning, we're just going to look at two things. First of all, we're going to look at the spiritual blindness that keeps people from coming to Jesus. But then we're going to look at the spiritual cowardness that keeps people from confessing Jesus. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then try to unpack these verses here, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us grace today, Lord, to first of all be able to expound on the Word of God, but Lord, give us of your Spirit that we could understand it. And Lord, I pray that you would use it today to exalt Christ, but to draw men. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First of all, consider in these verses the spiritual blindness that keeps people from coming to Jesus. In verse 37, we read how John comments that though Jesus had done so many miracles before them, yet they continued to not believe on Him. This was something that was ongoing. And then John says in verse 38 that this, all of this happened that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. I haven't given you the title of the message yet, but the title of the message is Blinded Eyes and Hardened Hearts. Blinded Eyes and Hardened Hearts. Now again, John is commenting here on the events that happened, and John makes note of the fact that what is going on here is a fulfillment of several prophecies found in the book of Isaiah. In verse 38, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? First, uh, uh, John is referring to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, that says those very words, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? And if you look at the context of Isaiah chapter 53, without question, it is the context of the cross and the suffering of the Messiah that would come. And John is quoting from Isaiah here, and he points out that even in the first verse of that chapter was this prophecy fulfilled. Israel, in the main, had refused to believe even when they were confronted with such powerful, powerful manifestations of the arm of the Lord before their eyes. That is the history of the nation of Israel. When they were in the wilderness, all they saw was miracle after miracle of God providing for them, protecting them, caring for them. The nation of Israel as a whole had rejected uh, the, the, the Lord even. And they would go in this cycle of, of, of worshiping God and loving God and then turning from the Lord and falling in sin and so on and turning their back on God and then God would judge them for their sin and then they would repent and they would come back to the Lord again. And this is the cycle of the nation of Israel. So much so that when Jesus came onto the scene, the Bible tells us in John 1 that He came unto His own and His own received Him not. The Word of God, the Old Testament that Israel had, 
was so full of description concerning the Messiah, and even just a, uh, even just a casual reading of, of the Old Testament by the Jews and comparing that to the life of Jesus Christ, it would tell you, He's the one! He's the one! But in the main, they refused to believe. Even when confronted with these powerful manifestations, though He did so many miracles among them, they saw the arm of the Lord revealed right before their eyes, and yet they believed not. Listen, it was true then in the Old Testament in Isaiah's day. It was true in Jesus' day. Miracle after miracle after miracle. No, no greater revelation of the power of God than the miracles that Jesus performed. And yet they believe not on him. To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? The power of God is what Isaiah says. Who hath believed our report? Then you look at verse 39. Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. So John proceeds now to refer to an even more ominous prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 6. Turn over there, just keep your place in John, and look at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. This is in the context of Isaiah seeing the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly, and one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. This is the context in which Isaiah speaks. He sees the Lord. He sees Him in His holiness, in His glory, in His majesty. And then the Lord gives Isaiah a message. Go to this people. Tell this people of me. Tell them of, of the glory of God. And what's going to happen? They're going to hear, but they're not going to understand. They're going to see and they're not going to perceive. And he says, make their heart fat, make their ears heavy, shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. John is referring to this, and it's an ominous prophecy here on the condition, the heart condition of the people of Israel 
And he indicated that because of this, they could not believe. The hardness of their hearts in rejecting the clear and powerful and forceful manifestation of the very Son of God in their midst, it had so blinded their hearts that they couldn't even believe. They couldn't. Because they continually, continually, continually rejected Him. And in so doing, they fulfilled what Isaiah had prophesied more than 700 years before. Because of the hardness of heart of unbelieving Israel, even in Isaiah's day, and certainly in Jesus' day, the Bible says that God, therefore, God, therefore, blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. Now, somebody might say, whoa, whoa, God blinded their eyes? God hardened their hearts so that they couldn't believe? How did God do that? Was God the cause of their unbelief? Does God choose that some should believe and others should be condemned? If God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts? Well, that reminds me of another instance in the Word of God where the Bible says that God hardened somebody's heart. You remember Pharaoh? And the nation of Israel, when they were leaving Egypt, go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. That is not the the place I wanted. It's not Exodus chapter 20. Let's see here. I'm a little rattled this morning too, I guess, if you were here in the Sunday school hour. You remember how, I'll find it here in a second, but you remember how Moses came to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And it might be actually chapter, no, it's chapter 10 in verse 20. I got those two mixed up and I was just going there. Thank you, brother. But I just thought that myself. I bet it's those two are reversed. Look at chapter 10 and verse 20. The Bible says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Several years ago, <clears throat> that verse caught my attention, and there's, there's actually a couple of other places prior to this in chapter 8, for example, as well, where the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I, I, that verse caught my attention, and I just started to, to think on that and to, to try to understand what's happening here, because I don't believe that God is the cause, and God doesn't choose that some would believe, and God doesn't choose that some would not believe and experience the judgment of God. I don't believe that God is is the cause, and yet the Bible says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. What's the the meaning of that? What is is behind that? What is this saying? And if you look at the, the history of Pharaoh, and you know how God told Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you say, let my people go. 
And God told Moses that Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And so what happened? There were plagues that the Lord sent uh, on, on the land of Egypt and miracles that were performed that Moses did to reveal the arm of the Lord. <clears throat> and in every case, in every case, Pharaoh still refused to let the people of Israel go. And the Bible tells us that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did he do that? How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, God kept coming to him. God kept coming to him. Ten times he came to him and said, let my people go. Ten times there was refusal to let the people go. And a miracle was performed and the power of God was there. And what it's saying is that God kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and forcing Pharaoh to keep making a choice. In the end, you'll read a couple chapters later that the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And I think that's a primary example of the nation of Israel. John says that though he did so many miracles, yet they believed not on him. And again, that means that they continued to, to refuse to believe on him, though they saw the revealed arm of the Lord. And I think what we find, if you go to Matthew chapter 23, go over there with me. Matthew chapter 23, you find the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, displayed here in Matthew chapter 23. And you find that there was opportunity after opportunity that the Lord extended. In Matthew 23 and verse 37, the Bible says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord." Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together? How often would I have wanted to, I wanted to take care of you? And all you've done is kill the prophets. All you've done is stone those that have been sent unto you. And because you've chosen to do this, he says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Israel historically had ignored, rejected, and disbelieved not only the prophets that were sent to them, but now God's very Son Himself. Therefore, God in effect said unto the nation of Israel, okay, have it your way. If you're going to continue to reject me, have it your way. And friend, even to this very day, there is a veil that is placed over the hearts of unbelieving Israel so that they cannot believe. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look what Paul says here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 15, But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So Paul says, even to this very day, when, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts that they don't believe. If you look in Romans chapter 11, Romans 11 and verse 8, I'll just read it to you. 
You can get there. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, even that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. So Paul says in Romans chapter 11, even to this very day, they have eyes that won't see and hearts that are slumbering and ears that are dull of hearing. And I went through all of that to make a point and an application. Because John says, even though Jesus did so many miracles, yet they would not believe. They continued to not believe. And because of their unbelief, to this very day, there's a veil over their hearts that they won't believe. And I think what it does for us and what it shows us, friend, is this. It reveals the danger of playing games with God. That's what it reveals. The thrust of Romans chapter 11. uh, If you follow along in Romans chapter 11, you get down to Romans 11, 21. And the thrust is that we as, as Gentile people don't fall into the same error that the nation of Israel fell into. So much opportunity yet continued rejection that can callous their heart and harden their heart so that they wouldn't believe. The veil of spiritual blindness prophesied by Isaiah It applied in Jesus' day, but it doesn't apply just to the Jews. It applies to you and me as well. And the point I'm making is this. When the gospel, if you're not saved today, and the gospel is preached to you, or the Spirit of God has convicted you of your need of, of, of a Savior, the Spirit of God has come over you and said, you know what, you're guilty. You're guilty. And you're going to be judged for it. You need to be saved. And you push that away, and you push it away, and you reject it. Listen, every time that you hear the Word of God preached, every time the Spirit of God moves in your heart, you've got a choice to make. To either receive Christ or to reject Him. And each time that you reject Him, you're hardening your heart. In Pharaoh's case, God kept coming back and giving him the choice to let Israel go, but he refused. And that is how, that is how God hardened his heart, by continually coming and giving him a chance. Until there were no more chances. Forcing him to make a choice. And ultimately, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In the Jews' case, though he had done many miracles, though he had revealed the power of God, yet they believed not. And again, there's seven main miracles that are mentioned in John. But John says the books couldn't contain the whole of all that Jesus did. Ultimately, ultimately, the Jews hardened their own hearts. They had opportunities galore. Those opportunities were evidence of the heart of God toward them, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the same heart of God toward you, friend. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse, 
and rebel. He shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. God said to Israel, why will you die, O Israel? In Ezekiel 33, in verse 10, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye shall speak, saying, if, ye transgre- if, your, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? That's the heart of God. Why will you die? I'm giving opportunity for you. Why do you keep rejecting me? Because it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you an eternity. Listen, there are some of you here that are not saved. And you know it. And the Spirit of God has been trying to draw you. But you haven't submitted to Him yet. Why will you die? God hardened their heart by giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they continued to reject Him so that they could not believe. That message is being given of the Lord today. You need to be saved. Don't harden your heart by turning away from Him again. Back in our text in John, verse 41, the Bible says, These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. That's referring to Isaiah chapter 6. But in essence, what this is telling us is that Isaiah saw what the Jews missed. Isaiah saw what the Jews missed. And in John's day, this, this, was, this was very God himself in the flesh. And John is saying, this Jesus, this Jesus is God in the flesh. It's the same holiness. It's the same glory. It's the same one. And the Jews missed it and rejected him. And they continued to, to the point that they had such hardened, calloused hearts that they could not believe. There's spiritual blindness that keeps people from coming to Jesus. Don't fall into the same error as the nation of Israel. God is speaking to your heart. Submit to Him today. Yield to Him today. But then I want you to notice back in our text, verses 42 and 43, and we talk about spiritual cowardice that keeps people from confessing Jesus. The Bible says in verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We could say that there's a little bit of a glimmer of light here. The Jews didn't believe, though they had seen so many miracles, They fulfilled prophecy that Isaiah spoke about blinded eyes and hardened hearts. And then John says, nevertheless, there's a glimmer of light here. 
Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed on him. But, but, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. There's spiritual cowardice that keeps people from confessing Jesus. Even in this glimmer of light here, that many of the chief rulers in Jerusalem believed on him, the Bible says, yet they, in fear of the Pharisees and the embarrassment of being put out of the synagogue, they didn't confess Jesus Christ. And the reason was because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You have to understand what it would mean to be put out of the synagogue. I mean, this was, they were all built on reputation. They were built on power and prestige. And if you were a Pharisee, you were part of the synagogue, you were a wealthy man, you were an influential man, you had, you had praise of men, you had glory, you had all of these things that temporal earthly life could give you, they had in that position. And the reality was that if they followed after Jesus Christ and they openly confessed Him, they would lose all that they had built in their life for themselves. They would lose it. They would be put out of the synagogue. They would be embarrassed. They would lose their wealth. They would lose their power. They would lose their prestige. And the Bible says that the reason they didn't openly confess Christ was because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The word that is translated as praise here is a word that was commonly used to, uh, to illustrate glory and honor. They loved temporal glory and honor from men more than they loved honor from God. What a sad commentary that is. Because there's no comparison between the two. Honor from God or honor from men, there's no comparison between the two. And they love the puny glory of their little world rather than the infinite glory of God Himself. But think about that, friend. And we might say, who were these people? Well, we don't know exactly who these people were. Maybe they were people like Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, where he came to Jesus by night, and Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I believe, believed on Jesus Christ, but he would be called a secret disciple. And it wasn't until Christ was hanging on the cross that Nicodemus comes out in his love and, and, and maybe faith toward Jesus Christ. Maybe it was somebody like him. But it really doesn't matter who these people were. What matters is that they were choosing something of little or no value, the praise of men, over that which is infinite. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Because here's the application, friend. This very same thought is true of Christians today. Believers who are ashamed of their Lord Jesus Christ they're ashamed of Him in their little tiny world of, of acquaintances and associates. They don't want to be looked at as odd. They don't want to be looked at as weird. They don't want to speak out for the name of Jesus Christ because they're afraid of what people will think. Come on, don't deny it. 
Don't deny it. And what are we doing? What are we doing? We're choosing the puny little glory of men versus the honor and the glory of God Himself. Why would we choose that? I'm afraid of what other people will think. I don't want to be looked at as odd. I don't want to be looked at as strange. I'm not going to say anything for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be a witness to this person whose soul is bound for hell. Because I'm more concerned about what people think of me than what God thinks of me. That's the bottom line. I'm not trying to beat you over the head here, but this is the reality of things. And we could say, were these people actually really saved? Well, one can wonder whether or not they were saved. I, I think the, the text says that they were. They were believers, yet they were cowardly believers. And I wonder where these same believers were a few days later when Jesus, in the travesty of the ages, was hanging on a cross, dying. And I kind of wonder, friend, just a thought, but I wonder how many saved, yet so as by fire, Christians there will be in heaven. You don't understand what that means, saved yet so as by fire? It basically means that you're saved, you're in heaven, praise the Lord for that. But all of your life, all of your life's works are all burned up. They're wood, hay, stubble. They're not gold, silver, precious stones. They're not things that you can cast at the Lord's feet. They're not things that honor the Lord. Your entire life was wood, hay, and stubble, and it's all burned up. You're saved. Praise the Lord for that, yet so as by fire. The righteousness of God, the judging fire of God has burned up your life work. Here's the truth, friend. You are not saved to serve yourself. I was not saved to serve myself and live in this temporal plane. We're saved to glorify God. He's given us days to magnify Him and to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to tell others of the heart of God, how often would I have gathered you together? How often do I want you? Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Why will ye die? Those are the things that God wants us to proclaim. That's why we have days. Not to live them for self or to serve self. And I wonder how many saved yet so as by fire Christians are going to be in heaven. How many have or are currently choosing that which is of no value because they live life on a very temporal plane and they live it ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? The reason we have life is to glorify God, so let us proclaim Him unashamedly. Amen? Amen. Let me just wrap things up quickly with these other verses. Look in verse 44. 
Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth, or seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment which I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. John here in this section, takes us back to the narrative of events. So we saw at the end of verse 36, when we got to verse 37, John's commenting on what was taking place. And John takes us back to the narrative now in verse 44. In what is the last recorded, at least by John, of Jesus' public ministry. And the Bible tells us here that Jesus cried out, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. The word that is translated as cried here, as it implies, has the sense of crying out loud with a loud voice. It was a proclamation that all should hear. We can imagine that even though we don't know exactly where Jesus is standing, we can imagine that there must have been a crowd, there must have been a group of people for Jesus to proclaim loudly with this loud voice. He cried out, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. What is he saying here? He's saying that if you believe on me, what you're actually doing is believing on God. You're believing on God. The truth is the same now as it was then. Trust in Jesus Christ is ultimately faith in God the Father. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then Jesus says, if you don't, the result is going to be the same as it's always been. The same as it was for Pharaoh the same as it was for all of these unbelieving Jews. If you don't, there's judgment coming. Verse 48, he says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. What the word of God is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that the standard by which unbelieving men will be judged is the word of God, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. You know what? Men can ignore, men can reject, men cannot receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your choice. However, the criteria of their own judgment has already been written. You don't get to choose what judgment is coming. The choice that you have to make is to receive the Lord or to reject the Lord. God's Word that is readily available is what is going to judge you. And you know what the Word of God says? All that were not written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. 
That's the standard by which you're going to be judged. Men may think they can get away with rejecting Christ, but they can never get away from the Word of God. It is going to be the basis for judgment in that day. That's what Jesus said. Believe while there's light. Believe while you have opportunity. And I'm giving you another one. Don't harden your heart like Israel, who had such a calloused heart because of continual rejection that they ran out of opportunity. If you believe on me, you're believing on God. So do it while you have the chance. Because understand that you'll never get away from the Word of God. It is the basis for what will judge you in that day. The invitation of the Lord is open. Come. You need to be saved today. Come. Child of God, don't let spiritual cowardice keep you from confessing Christ. He saved your soul. He's given you life. Let's proclaim him unashamedly. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word today according to your will. Leave it with you. Pray that you draw to yourself. In Jesus' name.